Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources, Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Inflation is a big topic everywhere, especially in our nation's capital and right here in the state of Utah. Really pleased to have joining us to talk further about it, Representative Blake Moore. Congressman, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, obviously, the uh, the numbers continue to climb. They're uh, double digit here in the state of Utah. Uh, first, what are you hearing and what are you sensing generally as uh, you talk to constituents and as you interact with your colleagues back in Washington, D.C.? Well, when I talk to constituents, which is the most important part, it's obvious to them. They're feeling it. They're feeling it worse than they've ever felt these types of price hikes. And, and my main point is it didn't have to be this way. And I don't re- recall ever seeing this level of inflation. You could almost, you could pinpoint it back to one major bill. And that was the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion bill that, that Democrats rushed through as soon as they got the majority in the Senate, you know, even with these narrow margins, they rushed this bill through this $2 trillion spending package. And it has been the direct result. It lit the match for all of our inflation to, to, to ramp up from what? One and a half percent to eight and a half percent in, in the last 14 months. Yeah, it's been uh, obviously uh, an incredible driver, and uh, and the messaging is interesting. I thought it was really interesting uh, that yesterday, even before the number came out, uh, even Senator Joe Manchin, a uh, Democrat from West Virginia, said the the administration had gotten this wrong, uh, starting with that one point nine trillion dollar package. And I appreciate that from Senator Manchin, and I appreciate the work and the the sensible work that he did to sort of curb the an additional two trillion dollar package with the Build Back Better, but. I mean, he also voted for this. He, he can't just talk about it now. He voted for this particular bill, and and, and they got it through on the narrowest of margins. Um, Larry Summers was on this weekend. Larry Summers was an Obama-appointed economic council director. And, and even across the political spectrum, everybody is looking back to this, this $2 trillion bill from 14 months ago. And they said, you know, it loaded the monetary supply with all the stimulus, and it suppressed workforce. Supply chain issues absolutely do exist, and they are a factor. But what, what was done from that bill um, that was every single Republican voted against, there was no bipartisanship whatsoever, has created this uptick. And then when energy prices get mixed in with that, again, based off of uh, Biden's initial, President Biden's initial executive action to curtail you know, energy production, like, both of those things are a recipe for just record inflation. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting the the energy component uh, as well has has gotten really interesting and and obviously there's a, a little of the uh, pointing finger placing blame game going. The president uh, yesterday talked about seventy percent of the increase in the gas prices uh, was due to Vladimir Putin for the month of March, uh, and uh, I thought that was a, a little bit of a sleight of hand there from from the president. And uh, but when we look at at kind of where we are, obviously spending has been out of control. Uh, in Washington by both Democrats and Republicans, even back before uh, you arrived at, at the scene uh, there in Washington. What is it going to take to actually change that conversation? Uh, because the conversations that we're having today, just as you've said, Congressman, in terms of what happened 14 months ago, driving what's happening today, what's the conversation we should be having today that will get the country in a better place 14 months from now? Absolutely. If you look from 2010 until today, just go, just go look up any graph out there, legitimate graph that will show our debt to GDP ratio, our debt to GDP ratio has just been a constant uptick and a very, very scary trend. The key is to reducing that debt to GDP ratio. That's what I've been working on. And again, I don't like to just come on and complain. These are easy things to message. It's easy for Republicans to message right now about, you know, Biden's policies and how they've directly led to inflation. That's all true. But the, the, the harder part is, is how you go about addressing this because for Republicans and Democrats alike, over the last 20 years, we have not got our spending under curtailed. Mm-hmm. So the key is how do we reform mandatory spending? Right, the, the portion of our budget that has grown, it has grown from 30% of our budget in 1970 to now 65% of our budget just 50 years later. And that spending doesn't even get addressed each year in Congress. That's not our discretionary spending. The things that we can actually address and control, things like our defense budget, things like HHS or other types of appropriations bills, this mandatory spending uh, are the big ticket items that we have to go about some reform process. This is an effort that was they were trying to do back when they were, did the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. So that's one side of it. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act in 2017 helped grow the economy. That's increasing our revenue. But we have to reduce our spending at the same time. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to have deficits. And and that's the key piece that, that I'm trying to work on with this debt and deficit task force that we've put together and really articulating it, identifying what the, you know, just, just sharing what the ideal state looks like and then what we can do in the near term. You know, uh, we'll be sharing that continually as we, as we go forward, but um, it's, it can be really simple things like the Secure 2.0 Act that we just passed that helps people save earlier in life. That will reduce the burden on Social Security later in life because that's on a fiscal cliff, right? We are, that, I don't intend for that to be around for my kids unless we make some fundamental changes. And those changes don't take place with the individuals that are appreciating it now. They've paid into it. It's the younger generation that we need to plan for. And that's the type of work that we're doing back there in, in several of the, the debt and deficit groups I'm involved with. Yeah, and I think that's such an important factor because it is. It's the conversations today where we are where we are. So we've got to deal with the present reality. We've got to learn the, the lessons from the, the past. And obviously, uh, I think you keyed on the, the crucial component of that in terms of the debt to GDP. But then this, this reform on the mandatory spending, that's something that most people don't really think about. That that part is just on autopilot, and so that's driving a lot of things. Is there anything else coming out of uh, that task force with the debt and deficit commission there that uh, that we ought to be thinking about or watching for or having better conversations about uh, in the days ahead? I'm, I'm not on a single committee, but that that was something that I uh, my team and I took on just just because this is a passion of mine. And so we're articulating the framework on how to go about doing it. And that's what we've, that's what we've communicated. How you grow the economy, how you save and secure those vital programs like Medicare and Social Security and not put them towards bankruptcy. 
how you define discretionary waste, you know, and, and, and focusing American spending and then what you need to do the reform. I think the reform piece in one, in A, how we go about our budgeting process in Washington, it should not be directed to four or five different committees and Senate does some version of it. The House does some version of it. It needs to be consolidated. And there's plans in place to, to help build a more centralized bicameral committee that will will work on this. So, you know, you have the accountability. Yeah. And then you, you literally have to go about how the mandatory spending reforms will take place and what we would change in, in each of those programs to make sure we can keep them around. Wow, fantastic. And I, I think you've, you've keyed on some real crucial components here. Uh, we, we know there was more tax revenue brought in uh, during the last round uh, than there's ever been. And so uh, we always say cash flow covers a multitude of sins. And, and if you continue to spend uh, without making both of those changes of both growing the economy and the revenue, but you've also got to cut the spending. Uh, and that is, I think, the, the secret it's just, sauce. It's just putting good money after bad. And we want sustainable revenue increases. We want to grow the economy. We want to get people back to work. We want to make sure that regulation enables businesses to thrive. Mm. And you do that, you grow your revenue, you cover some of your burden. But if you don't get your spending and it continually is on autopilot out of control, we never make up that difference. Yeah. Great insight, uh, crucial conversation in our nation's capital about uh, debt and deficit spending, getting the economy going. And uh, Congressman Blake Moore, thanks for joining us to break it down today on Insight Sources. Thank you, Lloyd. Uh, you've heard me talk about this one before. Uh, it, it is not a revenue problem. It is a spending problem that is the problem. Uh, and uh, as I said to the congressman bef- uh, during that interview, that, look, we're bringing in record revenue. There were, there were more taxes collected last fall uh, than there had ever been in history. So there's plenty there. The problem is that we just keep cranking things up and ratcheting things up and we cannot continue to ignore the fact that when we continue to spend from a government standpoint of course inflation is going to go up uh, we've seen the movie and we're we're living it and it's a horror story and it hurts the poor and the most vulnerable among us the most uh, i actually love the proposal that's in the united states senate right now uh, that says if if inflation is over three percent and you're going to choose as the United States Senate and Congress to spend more money, you need to get a super majority, uh, not just a, a 50 vote threshold, uh, but let's let's get to 60 uh, and really require people to think through what that actually means. All right. Coming up. You don't want to miss this. Can your cheeseburger explain inflation? Amanda Bastillo from Politico is going to join us to tell us about how This American staple of the cheeseburger tells us everything we need to know about today's high prices. Don't miss it after Top of the Hour News here on Inside Sources. Utah's choice for 100 years. More breaking news, traffic and weather together, and conversation about important stories. Listen on any smart speaker and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. Thank you for 100 years of trust. Listen, uh, Tranquility Base here. The angle has landed. From KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. 
who would help our newest neighbors. Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.